who do you know that's faithful? Immediately some image will come into your mind. Somebody that's dependable, you just can, it'll just appear there. If I say, do you know anyone that's unfaithful? It's an amazing thing, even as I say it right now, I can remember an undependable person back in my past experience uh, who was a minister, by the way. It's a terrible thing to have to say, but I, I've mentioned it before. Whenever I thought of this man, I always thought, if you have an appointment with him, plan to get there an hour late, and you'll probably wait a half an hour to an hour. Depend on it. If you wanted to meet him at 10 and you said be there at 9, he'd be there at 1030. You could, de you could depend on him being late. I guess you can put it that way if, you want to, if, if there's that kind of dependability. But I'm talking about someone that fulfills their responsibility and their obligation, and if they say it, it's just going to be done. You find them in every church. Some people that you couldn't keep them away if you had to because that's where they want to be. Like we've heard people say in this church, I don't have to go to church, I get to go to church. And I thank God I get to go to church because I want to be with God's people in listening to God's word and in, in God's presence and fellowshipping with the body. And consequently, they would rather be there than any other place around. They'll shut off the television. They'll tell the families that's coming to visit them. It's our, it's our custom to go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Now, you're welcome to come with us. Otherwise, you can sit here and there's some food in the icebox and television set in the living room and a couch in the living room. Lie down and make yourself at home. We'll be back after church. It's devotion to a loved one, being true to a person or to a duty. Faithfulness. And we just declared to you, first of all, that how I thank God that God is faithful. It's his nature. God cannot fail. He cannot fail for he is God. He cannot fail. He's pledged his word. Secondly, I said that, Je that uh, Jesus Christ's nature was that of faithfulness. All that you've given me to do, Father, I have done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ was faithful. Jesus Christ was dependable. We could trust him implicitly. And we still can, can we not? Is there any promise that he made that you and I cannot receive and stand upon today and know that it's true? He said it, and we can believe it and stand on it. Jesus Christ is absolutely faithful. Consequently, like father, like son. Now, the scripture says that when you and I are born again, we are born into the family of God. We are, what, sons of, sons of God, joint heirs with Christ. We're part of the family. Now, if we're part of the family, unless we're a black sheep, if we're part of the family, we should display the same nature as God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son manifest. Should we not? So when people talk to, about us, they say, well, there may be a lot of problems in that person's life, but one thing about them, they are faithful. If they say it, you can count on it. At any cost, they'll do it. Now, many, 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 many times in my life I've had people say, Brother Webb, I'm going to do thus and such. And, you know, I can walk away. I would never say it, but I, I would almost know in my heart uh, seeing there is going to be believing. I've even said to the, had them say to me, I promise you on such and such a day this will be done. I said, that's fine. Praise the Lord. And I walk away. And, I, I, again, just because I know their nature... You can almost write it down. Don't plan on it getting done. Now, there's something wrong in that, uh, that, that type of a person, isn't there? Something has not been set straight in their relationship to Jesus Christ because the Word of God says that we are to be absolutely transparent. 
that when, and we're to be absolutely honest. You don't say, I swear to you I'll do it. He says, don't swear at all. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything else is, uh, beyond that is sin. If you say it, do it. If you say you're going to do it at such and such time, you can't. Immediately contact that person and say, I said it. I, I'm sorry this came up, but I will do it at thus and such time. You see? Why? Because that's the very nature of God. We have become new creatures in Christ Jesus, and we are representatives of His. And I said, that's something that we need to get down into our spirit. We don't represent Joe Webb anymore. You don't represent yourself anymore. When you come to Jesus Christ, Jesus said, He that receiveth you receives me. And he that receives me receives the Father. Now let me tell you something. That is authority, brother. If they receive us as receiving God the Father and Jesus Christ, then shouldn't the nature of God the Father and Jesus Christ be manifest in our lives? Shouldn't there be a similarity between God the Father and us? Be manifested? Faithfulness. The wonderful part about it is that it doesn't make any difference whether people appreciate it or not. If we'll do it, God says He'll honor us for it. Some people say, well, I, I, I went to that church for so many years and I taught Sunday school and I was busy and I was on this committee and that committee and no one ever even noticed. You know, I was sick one week and no one even noticed I was gone. I stayed three weeks and someone still didn't notice I was gone. And so if they don't care anything more about me than that, well, why in the world am I doing it? Well, then who are they really doing it for? We must check the motive for which we do things. You know, there, you can do the right thing and do it wrong. Be wrong in doing it. You know that, don't you? If we're doing it for someone else or for the acclaim of men, the motive is wrong. If we're doing it for God, it doesn't make any difference whether men see us do it or not. I say it again. Someone said, uh, I read somewhere some, where someone had said, God knew what he was doing when he had us bend our arm, our, had our arm only bend forward because there would be very little occasion for us to pat ourselves on the back. And so if we do things for men's acclaim and for men to pat us on the back and the men to tell us how wonderful we are, our motive is wrong. And it's not based upon faithfulness to our love and commitment to Jesus Christ. But God says he will reward us. It was true of the Old Testament, New Testament saints, you could see the power and the presence and the nature of God in their very lives. They knew that Daniel was a man of God. They knew that David was a man after God's own heart. Even though he stumbled and fell, they knew it. They could tell that Stephen had been with Jesus and the disciples had been with Jesus and his face shone as it were like an angel's. And we could go all the way through the Bible and show you that men of God had the characteristics and the nature of God in them. And people around them could tell it. And God says he will cause them, if they are faithful to him, to abound with blessings, that he will preserve them, that he will protect them, and that he will reward them that are faithful, even if they don't appreciate it. He will still reward you abundantly. He's promised to do that. And that's why he says, whatsoever things you do, do it as unto the, the Lord. Whatsoever your hands find to do, do it as unto the Lord. And what a blessing it is when you can walk away from a job or walk away from a responsibility and say, Lord, I don't care if anyone ever else ever saw it. Were you pleased with what I just did? I don't care if anyone ever writes me a letter of thanks. Were you pleased? You know, I don't know about anyone else, but it must have been a tremendous blessing to Jesus to hear the Father say on the Mount of Transfiguration to Peter and James and John, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, brother, I could get in the who's who books and all the rest, but I don't care about that. But if someday I can hear God say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I don't need any other reward. That's the only one I need to really please. And that's why I don't get too shook up whether men like what I say or not. 
They didn't like what Jesus said either. They didn't like what the disciples said. In fact, all of them but one died a martyr's death for what they were saying. But they said it anyway. <clears throat> and the Word of God tells me in the last chapter that the foundations of the city have the name of the, of the uh, 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 gates have the names of the apostles on them. Now that's a pretty good recognition, wouldn't you say? They died a martyr's death, but still, this life didn't count, but how about in the life to come? That's what really counts. God expects faithfulness all the way through Scripture. We, we saw that God was saying, I looked for a man, I looked for a man, I looked for a man, and I found none. The New Testament said it is required of stewards, of a steward, that he be found faithful, worthy of trust, dependable trustworthy. It's required of a steward. God has given to us the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. He has placed within this uh, earthen vessel truth and light that the whole world needs to know. And he said, now you're a steward of my truth. I've given it to you and you are to be an ambassador and make that truth known everywhere. And I'm going to hold you responsible as that steward to do my work on earth. Now, if you do it, I'll reward you. If you don't do it, I can't reward you. God wants us to be just like Him, faithful. What are the important areas of faithfulness for the saints? That's what I wanted to get to this morning. The important areas of faithfulness for the saints. How many here this morning are saints? Let's see your hands. You know you're saints. How many of you say, I'm not saintly? I didn't ask you if you're saintly. I asked you if you're a saint. The Word of God says that if you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and have committed your life to Him, repented of your sins, and made Christ Lord of your life, you are a saint. Not saintly, but a saint. You'll become saintly, I trust. We want to be more and more like Jesus Christ, but a saint is one who has been redeemed and brought into the family of God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What Jeff was singing about, talking about in that last verse a while ago. Clothed in His righteousness divine. All right? God expects and has certain areas, important areas in our lives that He expects us to be faithful in. What are some of those areas? I do not believe that the Christian life is a, is a weird life at all. I don't think it should be offbeat and stuck way out of center. In fact, I'm always saying to you time and time again, look out for the extremes. Be careful of the extremes. Don't get off too far in this direction or that direction. God's usually, you'll find Him right in the middle somewhere. You'll always find the two extremes. But there are certain areas of faithfulness, and the first area of faithfulness that God expects in the life of a believer is your love relationship to Jesus Christ. There is no more important area that you can talk about than your personal love relation to Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any difference how committed you are to the church. If you do not have a love, intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are not walking in that balanced place in that place of faithfulness that God desires of you. I'm talking about a balanced Christian life. Some years ago, I received this little chart in a Youth for Christ study in Minnesota. And I wrote it in the back of my Bible. And time and time again, I have referred to this chart. Because it's, it's so essential for us to come to a place of total balance. Would you look with me at Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 28. Luke 10, 25 through 28. We're talking about your love relationship to Jesus Christ. You find that the lawyers and the Pharisees and the publicans were constantly tempting the Lord. 
trying to get him to say something to get him into trouble with someone else. And here again they did it. Luke 10, 25 through 28. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Read this verse with me, will you? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Will you just notice here with me that Jesus was emphasizing, he, this was not a preference, by the way. You'll find in the book of Matthew, he said this is the greatest commandment of all. It is not a suggestion on the part of God. It's not a preference that if you would like to do this, this would be wonderful. Jesus is saying if you want to have true life, this is what should take place in the life of a believer when they say they have committed their life to Jesus Christ. When they say that Jesus is Lord, this should be the end result of that commitment to Jesus Christ. A balance. First of all, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, what? With all thy heart. Now that's talking about the spirit or the spiritual aspect of the person. You can write those verses down, look them up later on, but it means that certain things will take place in your life, and we'll talk about them a little bit more later. The word of God and prayer and obedience and witness should become a very important area of your life. An area that cannot be replaced with anything else. Let me just ask you, since you've come to Jesus Christ, have you found, as the Word of God says you should have, a hunger for the Word of God? As, desire, as children or babies earnestly desire the sincere milk of the Word? Have you hungered for the Word of God? That's one of the sure signs of new life in a believer. And if it's not there, you have to begin to ask God to give you a desire for the Word of God, a hunger for the Word of God, and then begin to read it, force yourself to read it, and begin to get that diet down in. Now, if you've been filled with everything else, you may have to force the Word of God in to force the other things out. But the new nature will begin to drink that in as you take it in. Secondly, prayer. It's just as ridiculous to think that a husband and a wife can live together or a family can live together year in and year out without speaking to each other that's impossible. It's just as impossible for a child of God to walk in newness of life without talking to his heavenly father. You don't get to know anyone unless you talk with them and listen to them and fellowship with them. And so it becomes a very important thing. Now, again, we can take these things off to the extreme, but I'm talking about a balanced Christian life. Thirdly, obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They won't be grievous to you. Another symbol of a balanced Christian life is one who, when they see something in the Word of God, will say, I don't care what I see and I don't care what I think. If the Word says this, this is what I will stand on, and I will be obedient to this. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. It's one thing to hear your voice, and it's another thing to follow. We have a cat in our home, and that cat is the most independent thing I have ever seen in my life. That cat can be laying out in the yard at night, and I will go outside at my wife's request to call the cat in. And I'll say, here, kitty, 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 until my throat is sore. And I'll think that stupid cat has gone off somewhere, and he can't hear me. And then I think, well, I'll turn on another yard light. And I turn on another yard light, and there lays that cat. He's heard every word. She's heard every word I've spoken. 
And I walk over and say, you stupid cat. It's one thing to hear me, but it's another thing to obey me. And I grab him by the nap of the neck and jerk him up and take him in the house and say, listen to me, will you? Now, there are a lot of people who say, oh, I hear God all the time, but they don't do anything about what he's saying. And obedience is required. It's mandatory for a believer. Witnessing. I'm not being critical. I just simply feel that we've, we've gotten off on a... On a uh, uh, can I use the old country term? We've been chasing rabbits in the area of witnessing a lot. When we come to the place where we've got just now, if you can just get these four things down pat, you'll get saved. Just, just, do you believe these four things now? Okay, now just pray this prayer and you're saved. We've got difficulties. That is not soul winning, dear heart. Believe me, that is not soul winning. Soul winning is witnessing. Jesus said you'll be a witness and all you can witness is what you have experienced. And God wants you to be able to tell someone else in your own words what Jesus Christ has done in your life. What he wants you to do, where he has brought you, what he has saved you from, what he has brought you into, you share that with someone else and let the Holy Spirit begin to convict them to where they will come to you as they did to Peter on the day of Pentecost and say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then you tell them how to come to Jesus Christ. There has to be a hunger and a desire, and it cannot happen if we become silent witnesses, just that light that shines. First of all, Jesus says, don't put your lamp under a bushel basket. It should be set on a hill where everyone can see it. Who? Everyone. You know, I could stop right now and preach for about 45 minutes on that one word, that everyone should see it. There are some people who go to church on Sunday, and that's their religious life. And then during the rest of the week, they're just nice people. And then on Sunday, they put on their religious garb and come to Sunday to church again, looking as pious as pilgrims, learn a lot more truth and go out and let it just sit there. And they don't realize that the truth they learned is truth that should be shared with others around about them. All week, wherever they go, whatever they're doing, what a blessing it is to have different ones come and say, oh, I was at such and such place the other day and sat down and in just a few minutes, this other person and I were talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and how I was saved and how he has healed me and how I was ministered to in deliverance. And they said, what is this all about? And before long, we just got to share with them how wonderful the Lord Jesus was. That should be as natural and normal for a believer as sitting down and eating a meal, as lying down and going to sleep, it should be part of our disposition. Jesus Christ said, ye shall, not you might be, or if you want to be, you can be, but if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, you automatically become a witness unto me. Now let me tell you something. There are good and bad witnesses. I've had people go down the road with a dove on the front license plate and go swerving around me like they were under the alkafluence alcohol, you know. And going about 75, 80 miles an hour past me and swerving in and out of traffic going up the road. And I said, there goes a witness. But boy, what a bad witness that is. But Jesus says, you and I shall be witnesses. And if we're going to have a balanced Christian life, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Everything you do in the area of the spiritual should be centered upon. And this is something I should have brought out. Your whole life is centered upon Jesus Christ. He becomes the hub of your life. Christ, I glory not, save in the cross of Jesus Christ, Paul said. Jesus Christ becomes the hub of your life, and every other spoke of your life is centered and anchored into Jesus Christ. You see, as long as it's anchored into the hub, it won't come out of balance. It's when the spoke breaks off at the hub that you begin to get a wheel go out of balance and things start flying into pieces. 
But as long as it's anchored in Jesus Christ, your life becomes a balanced life. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy what? Soul. Now we're talking about the social aspect of man, the personality of man. And if we're going to have a balanced Christian life, Jesus says it's not going to be a partial commitment here. And of course, again, a person could spend a lot of time, first of all, with your associations. A believer's associations should be, should be set upon one purpose. I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I am a pilgrim passing through. Let me move that up so we'll only work on the bottom part here at first. I'm a pilgrim passing through this world. This world is not my home. And God has placed me here to be a, a signal light, a warning light, a red light to those who are going off into a Christless eternity. With the words of my mouth, the actions and the deeds I perform, the love that I manifest and display, Jesus Christ should be seen in everything that I am and do. Consequently, all of my associations should be in one way or another bring glory to Jesus Christ. If I have associations with those who are in the world, it should be with the manifested purpose of somehow making Jesus Christ known to them in one way or another sooner or later. Now, I don't believe that you walk up to somebody, slam them up against the wall and say, buddy, you're going to hell if you aren't saved. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about where when you're around that you have the same uh, influence as salt would have. It retards spoilage. And when you're around, people can tell that there's something different about you. And when they begin to ask, you have the opportunity when they ask you to share with them about Jesus Christ. Can you think of any associations that you have right now that does not bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? People with whom you run right now whose purpose and plan in life is not to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. My question is not whether you associate with them because we can't be isolated from the world, but what is their influence on you? Do you influence them or do they influence you? Many Christians today are thermometers instead of thermostats. And he says, Jesus, I want to become Lord of your life to where I will cause you to be the thermostat. You will set the temperature. You won't follow, but rather they'll follow you. They'll either get closer to you because of their attraction to Jesus Christ, or they'll be repelled from you because of your attraction to Jesus Christ. Do you have associations right now that you cannot say that you love Jesus Christ supremely in that relationship, that association? I'm going to put something in here, and I hope I don't step on toes, but if I do, I'm sorry, you'll just have to step back and think about it. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. It says, don't become unequally yoked, and I'm concerned when I think that there might be parents that encourage their children to date non-Christians. You say, Brother Webb, there can't be anything wrong with just going out with a young fellow. Listen, let me tell you something. That's the way relationships begin. You hear me? You say, I disagree with you. Disagree with me. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm just telling you what I have known from years in the ministry and from my own experience. God's Word says we are not to have that type of a relationship with an unsaved person. I, I personally believe that the whole system of dating that has been uh, embedded in the American society in itself is, is bad. Ooh. I believe that. I believe that. You know what we're actually saying? Well, pick this one, pick that one, pick this one. You know you'll find some good in each one of them, but eventually you'll like know what you like. Oh, really? When 
Young people today get married, that same philosophy is going right into marriage with them. Well, we'll try this, and if it doesn't work out, we'll try the next one. If that doesn't work out, we'll try the next one. And it's all based back on the fact of dating when we first started. Parents, please be careful. doesn't make any difference what Pastor Webb says. Study what that verse means. Be not unequally yoked, believer with unbeliever. Paul even goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter that unbelievers, I mean, believers should never marry an unbeliever. Well, if they shouldn't marry them, then neither should they have social relationships with them with that purpose. What is the purpose of dating? Oh, just a good time. Oh, is it? Well, if they're even out there looking to see what they like or dislike, you know something? There are some non-Christian guys that have a lot of features that are a lot better than some Christians I know, but they're still not saved. They might be sharper, might be more popular, but they're lost. Now, these young people can go out with, we can be with them in a group and witness to them and share with them or just friends in the home and that sort of thing. But dating, your pastor is telling you you're looking for trouble in the days ahead. You heard me? Okay, I'm just telling you that. If you've heard me, all right. The associations are very, very important. Your business associations. If they're with unbelievers, make sure that you're in control of the situation. Make sure that you have the majority in that situation where you make all the decisions and they cannot hurt your testimony through that association. Activities. I say it again. Parents, we just went through a series on deliverance of meetings. It's one thing for me as a parent to be able to say, I can drink, whether it's social drinking, and I want you to know I don't have room for that, and I, I have very little patience with it because God showed me what that does to lives. But when it comes to social drinking, you and I, it may not bother a bit, but it may not, may not strike you that many times those spirits that are passed on from the third and fourth generation, it might even jump over your generation and hit the next generation. That was made evident this past week in deliverance when a spirit jumped one generation and went to the next generation already. But it may be, for example, that it doesn't bother you and your wife to drink socially or in the home or just have fun at our, at our special clubs and so forth. But what if a spirit of alcoholism or drunkenness has skipped you and gone to your children or passed through maybe your wife's side of the family or your husband's side of the family and has gone to your children? It may be right for you to do it, but in your doing it and having a strong conscience toward that thing, you open them up to temptations where they're going to fall. Now, I've seen it happen too many times. That's why I tell you time and time again that Romans, the book of Romans and the book of 1 Corinthians is saying it doesn't matter what the next person has to say about it or whether it hurts you. The question is if in any wise it will make someone else to stumble, don't do it. I don't need to do it. Paul says if any of those things, eating meat or drinking wine or any other thing, causes a weaker brother to stumble, I won't do it as long as I live. Now, that doesn't bring me into bondage. To me, the one that's in bondage is say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Nobody's going to tell me I can't do that. That's bondage. I'm free not to do it. I just shared last Wednesday night, I believe it was last Wednesday night or last Sunday night, of a group that started off in this shepherding thing. And they finally have come to the place where they said, you're in bondage because you won't drink. And, one, and Dr. Or Brother Hammond's uh, adopted son, because he refused to do it, was commanded and ordered by the group to go out and order all the drinks for them and bring them to their parties where now the shepherds became drunk. Now, they didn't start off that way. That wasn't their purpose in doing it. But the end result was that. 
that now they're drinking not just wine, but gin and vodka and, well, I don't know, bourbon, whiskey, all the rest of it. They're doing it now because they've got freedom in Jesus Christ. That is rubbish. They're causing weaker brethren to stumble and to fall into sin, and many of them now are falling away and totally disillusioned with the Christian experience. Now, I'm simply saying it doesn't make any difference what you and I do other than the fact that if we do it, we're saying to the next generation, whatever we do in, in restraint, you are free to do without restraint. And that, that, I don't say that we're saying that, but that's exactly what will happen. Bill Gothard in his seminar says that over whatever we do in moderation, the next generation will do with total freedom to excess. Now, I'm talking about our activities. What do we do as activities? I want to encourage you as families to do things together as families that will be centered around the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that if anybody comes in at any time, whether they're a weak or a strong brother, they will never be offended but know that Jesus Christ lives in this home. I'm not saying to do that for the church's sake or my sake. I'm saying for you to do it for your family's sake, for your testimony's sake, for your witness' sake, because you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So that everything you do in the social realm should be centered around how can I exalt and uplift through my life the, the name of Jesus Christ to a greater degree than I am right now. Next, in the area of authority. Recognizing proper authority. Recognizing authority as God has established authority in the government, in the home, in the church, and the divine authority of Jesus Christ and God the Father over us as believers. Next, in the area of abilities. The word says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with what? And do it as, as unto the Lord. God has given us some tremendous abilities here. There are two extremes. One is, I can't do anything, which is not true, because God's given each one of us a different talent. And the other one is, this is my talent, and I'll use it for my, the way I see fit. I'm going to go out and make my own living and so forth. But you know, if you'll take that same talent, whatever that ability is, however big or however small it is, and totally commit it to Jesus Christ and ask Him to become Lord of it, He will do for that talent exactly what He did for the loaves and the fishes. He'll break it and bless it and multiply it. And He'll make it to be fruitful. There are gifts and talents in this body. There, many are sharing those with other people in the body. Now, don't get weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not, the Word of God says. You sow and sow and sow, and God will see your handiwork, and God will honor you and reward you for it. But take those talents, whatever they are, however small, and just say, Lord, you gave this to me. I'm going to stir up that gift. I'm going to stir up that talent. I'm going to stir up that ability. I'm going to use it everywhere I possibly can, and I'm going to make it to be a blessing to others around me. I'm going to do it all in the name of and for the glory of Jesus Christ because I'm his servant. Little things. I mean, they may seem insignificant to some people, but uh, I noticed how beautifully your cake was decorated in your wedding, Charlie and Sally. And later I found out that that didn't come from a bakery. Someone in the church just has that ability. Next thing I know, I see flower arrangements popping up here in the church. I think, how beautiful. Now, can you imagine what a flower arrangement would look like if I did it? I mean, can you imagine a prophet making a, a spray of flowers? 
bittersweet here and <laughs> all these different things around in it. But that's a talent and a gift that God gives. And they do it as unto the Lord. Why? Because I glory not save in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I, now if you can just learn this and, and remember this, you and I, when we came to Jesus Christ, in doing so, we declared, I deserve hell. I deserve hell. Jesus Christ took my hell. Therefore, I have already died as far as God is concerned. And if I'm dead, then I should not allow this present life any longer to influence me with its thoughts and its persuasions, but rather... Jesus Christ should live his life out through me in such a way that in every, every place I go, everything I touch, I will leave on that and with that thing the fragrance of Jesus Christ. By my spirit, by my nature, by my thoughts, by my words, by my deeds. When I go away, and they'll say, who was that man or who was that woman? They'll be able to say that was Jesus Christ. Now, that should happen in, within the body, you know. I've never yet seen anyone say, who was that man or who was that woman, and say, well, that's, the, that's God's lone ranger. God wants us to flow as a body with these abilities and gifts that he's given us. Now, I'm talking about balance here. This does not, this does not uh, constitute uh, radicalism, although I do believe that Christians have to be fanatics. I really do. I believe that we as Christians should be termed fanatics. When the world wants us to do, and by the way, when I start talking about uh, stopping social drinking and not being uh, socially intertwined with the world and so forth, people say, Pastor Webb, you're getting a little fanatic. Yes, I am. And I believe we're going to see more and more of that's necessary in the days ahead because a line is going to be drawn between the world and the church. And God says there's going to have to be a clear line drawn. When he comes, he's not going to, he's not going to pick up the blur. He's going to see the line. And know who's on one side and who's on the other side. He had Moses cry out and say, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come over here and stand with me. And I think that day is coming when we talk about a balanced Christian life. Now, I know that this is not being taught continuously in, in many charismatic churches today. In many charismatic churches, it's called bondage. It's called legalism. But I've already told you the term for legalism. Legalism is trying to work your way to heaven, and this has nothing to do with this. This is talking about how Jesus Christ says our lives should be put in order and how it should be ordered of the Holy Spirit because we love him, not to earn our salvation, but because we are saved, that we would have a new life in Jesus Christ. And God's word says that we should represent holiness because we represent Christ and he is holy. Do you see this? If these areas of our lives will be what God wants them to be, we'll be living a balanced, joyful, free Christian life. I don't know about you, but I have never as a Christian felt that I was in bondage. I was in bondage before I became a Christian. I had to smoke. I had to drink. I had to cuss. I had to run with the crowd. I had to do the things they did. I felt like if I didn't, I wouldn't be accepted. And I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be just like all the rest of the world. But you know something? Since I found Christ, I want to be like Him. I want to listen to a different set of drums. I want to march to a different sound. Because I am to love the Lord thy God, my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. 
Do you this morning? We'll cover the other two aspects maybe this evening of this one very, very important part and that is our love relationship to Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for loving us, first of all. You said that we're supposed to love you because you first loved us. And it's a reciprocal love. Yours was an agape love, a one-way street. And we want you to know that we love you, and not only love you, but we want to be absolutely what you want us to be, only what you want us to be. We want the others around us to be able to see by our very lives, witnesses, that we're witnesses for Christ. But then that you'd cause the fruit of our lips to declare your faithfulness in our lives and your goodness in our lives. Father, I just ask this morning if there be those that might be looking at this area of their heart and their soul. They'll see some areas here right now that are not in balance because they're not centered and hubbed in Jesus Christ. That these relationships that they're having right now and these activities that they're involved in are not what they should be right now for Jesus Christ. That you'd just speak to them. And Father, if there be any this morning that have not found the Word of God to be as precious to them as they know it ought, that this morning they'd ask you for help. That you'd put a hunger in their hearts for the Word of God, for prayer, for fellowship and obedience to God's Word. And we just pray, Father, that each one of our lives be everything that you'd have them to be so that if these things be in us and abound, that we will be fruitful. And we want to be fruitful for you. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. May I just say while your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, the, Lord, the Word says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Chapter, verses 25 through 28, you might want to turn to it again, where Jesus was speaking and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God as the greatest, first and greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. Now, again, I want you to know, Jesus said if you forget everything else, don't forget this. It's the greatest commandment there is. <clears throat> if you forget the Ten Commandments, they're all in this one commandment. If you go through this, you'll find out if you'll do just what Jesus says in this one commandment, you will be fulfilling all of the Ten Commandments. All right? And we talked this morning about the heart, which is the spiritual part of man, the soul, which is the social part of man, and now we want to come to the, with all your, what's next? Strength the physical part of man. We're talking about the balanced Christian life, the important areas of faithfulness for the believers, and the most important is your love relationship to God. It is nice to be in love with a church, but a church cannot promise you anything. You can receive fellowship and teaching in a church, but a church can fail you. A church, I'm talking about, you know, a, a denomination or a, a, just a building where people are in it. That can fail you. But if you have a proper relationship with Jesus Christ each day and you walk with the Lord in obedience to Him, He has promised to guide and direct your ways and to protect you in everything. He will open doors for you. He will close doors for you. He will bring people to you that will minister to you. He will take you from people that, that could harm you. He will keep you from danger, from false teachings, 
And that's why the most important, vital thing that you and I can do is have an intimate, personal, close relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me just insert this. It's not in my notes, but I learned this principle very strongly in Bible college. I was there for five years, and every year I saw a whole crop of young people come into that Bible college. Talented young people, many of them, excited many of them, but I found also that just as soon as they got there, they would break off and they would find their own kind, seek after their own kind. There'd be some young people there that had very good minds, could get straight A's, but they didn't have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of them today are out. They have graduated from Bible college. Many of them today are uh, out of school, married, divorced, living out in sin today. Some of them have even gone to the mental hospital, having graduated from a Christian Bible school. Now, why is that? Because they miss this most important truth, that as Christians, when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, it speaks of total balance all centralized in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You will find that in every one of their lives, somewhere in these four areas, they got off into a tangent. They got off into some extreme situation and didn't allow Christ to become Lord of one area of their life. And the end result was disaster. As we're talking about the physical part of it, we might just look at those verses for a moment. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, God is interested in our body. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and He wants that temple completely cleaned. That's why He has given to the church the authority for deliverance. That the church does not have to go through constant pressure and turmoil and upheaval. It can be clean, and it can be used as a holy vessel for the Lord. There are some aspects here, though, I think that we need to consider very seriously. When we talk about appearance, and I've talked about it a little bit in the past, but I believe that every Christian's goal in life, as far as their appearance is concerned, is that they should be attractive so that Jesus Christ will be attractive to others. Their, the motivation for their appearance should not be based upon drawing attention to themselves as much as the, when people see them, they see the righteousness or the purity or the cleanness of Jesus Christ in them. That means we don't go by all the, the uh, code standards that, that Hollywood sets up. There are times when the, the uh, dress codes become so extreme that I, I cannot understand how a Christian can go along with those dress codes. If you know the source from which many of these come, you'll find out that if you'll just stay where you are most of the time, in a place where you look, for example, the ladies, they look like ladies. You'll find out that the code, I mean, the dress code may pass you up, but it'll come back. Just stay there long enough. It'll go right past you in the other direction again. And it'll go right back again. They just keep trying to manipulate the ladies especially. Now, men, what can they do with the suit? Take the pad out, put the pad in. Double it over, make it single. You know, one button, three button, that's about all they can do to us. They can make the pant legs tight. They can make them loose. But as these standards change, they're finding it very difficult because we came into a period here just a few years ago where anything goes. 
I mean, you go down the street and there'd be the girl with the mini skirt on and the next one with the maxi skirt on and the next one with, with uh, tights on and the next one with shorts on. And, and the industry was really in turmoil for a while because they didn't know how to get the people out of that and to find something new that would spark them to start buying a certain code again and getting back into a certain dress code so that they can continue to make more money. Let the motivation for our dress not be that we are cool. Or that's a bad trip or whatever they say today, bad suit and so forth. Uh, you know, right up to snuff. That should not be the, the goal that we have. But in our dress, that when others see us, there's nothing wrong with dressing nicely. I think that Christians should dress nicely. When I used to uh, be in business and I was with, uh, I'd go to the Jacques C. Penier store, I would buy the finest suit that Jacques C. Penier made. And the trouble is, I'd never wear them out. I would just simply have to give them away later on when they finally had gone from baggy pants to tight pants. And uh, I was out in the public all the time, so I'd, I remember one time, we, years ago, when I went to the mission and gave away, I think it was 15 suits and about 18 sport coats when I'd been in business before. They were completely outdated. If I had put them in the closet, I could have been wearing them again right now, see? They went past me and I got rid of them and they came back again. But we could become so conscious of our appearance. Most of all, in our hairstyling and our clothing, what would Jesus Christ have me to do? How can I be most pleasing to him? Now, again, first of all, let me say just, just this word to the ladies. The word tells men that if they look upon a woman with lust in their heart, they've committed adultery. I cannot help but believe that if a woman dresses in a way to entice a man, that they will be responsible and have to answer to God also. You hear me? I believe that's true. And so I think that when we are in mixed groups, there should be a sense of, the scripture calls it modesty, that we dress modestly. That doesn't mean we're ashamed of our bodies. God has fearfully and wonderfully made us, but we must be considered, considerate also of those that are around about us. And I think that as you, the closer you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you'll tend to understand what I'm talking about. Now, I believe that what uh, Peter Lord said is absolutely true also. That that woman doesn't necessarily, she is not the blame for you having lust. Lust is there, and when she walks by, it simply gets stirred up to show you that it's there, and it's something that needs to be dealt with. But I think that women need to be very careful in that area, and I think that, that uh, God gives beautiful, makes it available for Christian women to be very beautiful today because you can dress in just about anything you desire to dress in as long as it is modest in its apparel, in your apparel. Now, you know, I get the biggest kick out of some of these people, for example, that will not wear any makeup. And I've seen some come into the church that have looked at people wearing makeup and they just <clears throat> pull up their holy garments and flee. But have you ever noticed the $35 hairdo they got? Some of our dear sisters that are in Pentecostal churches, I love them, and I, I'm not criticizing them, but if I wore a, a, a ring or a, somebody wore a necklace or earrings or cufflinks, they would have a fit and fall in it. But they'll go spend $35 to have their hair piled way up to here on top of their head. Just curled and rolled and all those things. And uh, it's just amazing how Satan will use those things to divide us. Do you know something I have found? If we let Jesus be Lord inside, that it will sooner or later manifest itself outside. We've had people come to church who had hair clear down over their shoulders, and I've never said a word to them. Some people say, what? but the Word of God says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Okay, what's long hair? How long is long? Was David's long and now it's short? Or what? What's, lo what's long? I'm not going to judge someone and say, that's long and that's sin. I would rather just say, you do whatever the Lord tells you to do. 
The Lord will show you what to do. Pray about it. If you're concerned about it, and the interesting thing is they'll come up and they'll say, do you think my hair is too long? I say, why do you ask me? Well, you, you feel like you've got a problem? Well, I don't know. People just kind of look at me strangely. Well, is, are you a testimony to Jesus Christ with that long hair? Well, I don't know. Well, pray about it. Never say another word to them. A couple of weeks later, they come in and it's from down here. It's right up to here. And I just kind of wink at them as they go by and nudge them a little bit and say, how are you doing? And a few weeks later, I come around and it's, it's right about up to here. Now, I don't say a word to them. You t the Holy Spirit better do it, you know? But I've had people say, why, that's a dirty old hippie in the church over there, that long hair, you doesn't even belong here. No. Put Christ at the center and let him work out through their lives. Now, I've seen people come to, into this church, in, in my church, where I've ministered in past years. And when they first come, you know, you, you think, well, Lord, please, you know, minister to them. And then I've had others say, how can they call themselves a Christian and dress like that at church festivals, church, church outings? I said, well, first of all, they are Christians. I know that. I've talked to them. They love the Lord. Let's just pray that the Lord will manifest this truth to them so that they'll understand that there is proper dress and undress. And you know something? The Holy Spirit does His work, and I'd rather have Him do it than me do it any time. That's why I've never gotten up and criticized women wearing makeup. Now, I believe that if a barn needs a little paint, put it on it. But even scaly paint on barns looks ugly. I've seen some people that, that just a little bit of makeup makes them very, very attractive. Otherwise, they look very dowdy. And is that the right word, dowdy? You know, you just, ah. Uh, but just a little bit. Just perks them up something. And then I've seen others come in that look like a coon. You know, eyes all blue clear out around here. and uh, I look, I think, it isn't Halloween. It couldn't be. But you know, if you get to know some of those people, you find out sooner or later that there's a deep, deep insecurity inside. And they do that, they need that for their own self-confidence. But if they ever get set free, you begin to see Jesus radiating out through them and they don't need all that extra paint. And when you finally scrape all those layers down, you say, you know something, you're beautiful without that. Amen? Now, don't anybody go out of here all under condemnation. I haven't said anything, and I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. I'm just simply saying, if you have any question about any area of your appearance, talk to Jesus about it and see what the Word says about it for ladies and for men. And if you do that, we don't have to worry about it. Some that, have, some that wear, you know, uh, shrouds clear down over their shoes, someday may wear a dress up to their knees. And others that wear short dresses... Before long, they'll come down to the right length, too, if he is in control. Because that's part of the balanced Christian life. I can't go around and, you know, <laughs> I have problems when I see some of these schools where they go around with a measuring tape. It's got to be this many inches above the knee, below the knees or over the knee or this far off the ground. and all. That's not the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in the life of each believer, and you watch what happens, the beauty that comes forth. Amen? Now, the next thing is concerning the body. Now, I've just been talking about as far as dress is concerned. When we come to the body, I think that that's another area where each individual believer has to pray about it. You know, there's some people that are so skinny that they, they got striped pajamas, only got one stripe in it. I've said that before, you know. They got to jump around the shower to get wet. And, of course, they're always saying, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to gain weight. And then there are others that are heavy that say, oh, when you're heavy, you're happy, you know. And the Lord loves them all. I know somebody said one time that, uh, what was it, uh, one of the 316, Exodus 316 or one of them 316, Leviticus 316, I think it says all the fat is the Lord's. 
and they were very happy that they belonged to the Lord completely. But uh, yeah, that again is something that believers must pray about. Now, I have had people say, I mean, condemn people that were overweight. I've had people that condemn people that were underweight. There's other problems too. I believe that Christians should not only look nice, they should smell nice. Now, I, I mean that. I, I have been around Christians sometime that, uh, like the fellow that was on an elevator sometime, he said, wow, somebody's deodorants quit on them. And some guy said, ain't me, I don't wear none. <laughs> I believe that these are things that are essential when today, because of the society in which we live, if you come around a Christian and uh, come around people and they can tell when, before you get there that you're there, with body odor, I think it's a bad testimony. Underarm deodorant and aftershave lotion and those things are not that expensive. But I think they're very, very necessary for us to have a good testimony for those that are around us. Now, some people may think, well, that's part of the world. No, it's not. I mean, I don't care where you are. If you live in the house, if you have an order in the house, you try to get rid of it. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when you come around other Christians, they are going to either accept you, and if they don't accept you, they're not going to accept what you say. And that's why Christians should be very careful about cleanliness. I know this is very, very basic. It's getting right down where the rubber meets the road. But it's important that Christians be clean. There's something to be said that cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, if you're over in a, a pagan nation like uh, Virgil Adams is, uh, that's, that's a different thing. When these Christians, when these people became Christians, though many of them have changed and begun to clean up and have more sanitary surroundings. And I believe that every nation that you ever see where the Christianity has come and made an impact on that nation, you have seen an improvement and a cleanliness take place in that society. We begin to respect this body as being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, if any young fellows and gals are trying to win someone, uh, you know, for future... Uh, think about those things. It's very, very important. I have been in some homes where wives have said to me, I wish someone could get my husband to take a bath more often. He comes home from work and he gets in bed at night and I can hardly stand it. Can you talk to him, preacher? <laughs> Thanks a lot, you know. Uh, then he wonders why I'm not amorous when he comes home. Oh, oh. And then I've had others that come around and I'll say, well, what do you think about such and such? Oh, it's very important. First appearance. Be very, very careful about your hygiene. I think that that has a lot to do, again, as far as our testimony is concerned. And then we're talking about control. We're talking about our temperament. I don't believe that it's glorifying to Jesus Christ to find someone with a lot of self-control. I really don't. I believe it's glorifying to Jesus Christ to find people who are spirit-controlled, controlled by the Spirit of God. It was of great interest to me when Frank and Ida Hammond were ministering to me in deliverance because we'd been talking about my background, and I told them that I had been in boxing and that I had had much revenge in my heart before I was a Christian, wanting to get even with all those fellows that had been beating me up all those years when I was younger. And that was the goal, the motivation that I had in life. But I knew that after I accepted Christ that very night, in fact, I said, Lord, I know that if I go to that altar and do this, I've got to forgive and let that thing go. And I did it. And when we came into deliverance, they just tested that area, and they came against uh, the spirit of pugilism or boxing. They came against the spirit of revenge and hatred, and there was no response. And I said, glory to God, I'm so thankful that that thing is gone. And Beverly says, he hasn't even got any temper anymore. It's awfully hard to get me stirred up anymore. And I thought, you know, I thank God for that 
because I dealt, had to deal so harshly with that thing back there and said, Lord, if you don't take care of that, I'll never be a witness and testimony to my friends and my family. And the only reason that that took place is because I asked Jesus to take control of that temper and get rid of it. Now, if you want to get me riled, let someone begin to come against other Christians or come against the name of the Lord or the work of the Lord, and you can get my spirit riled up. But it won't be anger, it won't be temper. But I think it's very, very essential in the home. You know, God has placed us in a home to teach us how to let the Spirit control our temper. You know, most people, the thing is, when they go out, they put on that nice, sweet facade out front, that mask, and oh, how are you? God bless you. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? And then they come home and they close the door and they go, and then they say, now I'm home and I can be myself, and they really let things fly. And they've learned down through the years exactly what the little red flag words are to say to one another, to ring one another's bell. Sister against brother, brother against sister, father against son, son against sister, you know, all, all through the family. How to get each other riled up and keep that temper and argument and, and strife and, and contention going all the time in the home. You know that God put that home there just so you could learn through that experience how to let the Spirit control your temper to be in control of your disposition and your nature, to have a spirit-controlled temperament. Now that's where balance comes in. God's not going to, oh, he may have to teach it to you if he can't teach it at home. He'll teach it to you later on, either by having your boss come against you or your future wife or husband, some of you young people, that uh, up till now have not been able to get along with your sister or your brother and you've always been in strife. When you get married, the, the thing about it is you will not be able to walk out on that. And so the Lord says, now I've got you up against a grindstone that you'll either learn it or be miserable the rest of your life. So learn it while you're young how not to have strife and envy and fighting and bickering with each other. Husbands and wives, maybe some would say, well, I've been miserable fighting with my husband or wife for the last 20 years. Well, don't let the next 20 years go on to the same thing. God's trying to teach you something in that concerning your controls, being spirit-controlled. Physically, so you don't go up in a rage and flare and slam the door and kick, the, kick a hole in the screen door or I don't know what you might do. Some of you might still burn rubber or slam the garage door or throw a tool across the garage or break out a window or smash a glass in the kitchen. I don't know what you, maybe, maybe some of you husbands have seen flying saucers in your home. <laughs> but whatever it is, God is working on you to teach you self or spirit control. And when those things happen, stop right there and say this is an area where Jesus Christ needs to become Lord of my life. Now, I just renounce that attitude of anger and retaliation and bickering and strife. In the name of Jesus, I bind the strong man over me, and I command that spirit to loose me in Jesus' name. And then begin to come against that thing and not let that thing go on. And if you'll do it, you'll find out in the days ahead, you'll look back and say, Thank God I learned it then, so I don't have to learn it again now. Amen? Discipline. There comes into every one of our lives a time when we learn some discipline. When we were in high school, we learned discipline. I had to learn much discipline concerning studying when I got to college because I never studied when I was in high school. I wasn't a Christian, and uh, I hated school. So when I got to college, I had to study twice as hard. And you talk about it. I, I, I used to tell my roommate, I literally feel like a coyote in a cage. And have you ever seen a coyote in a cage? Do you know what the difference is between a coyote in a cage and a dog in a cage? You put a dog in a cage and he'll trot around for a while and then he'll lay down there and just 
You put a coyote in a cage, and he'll just pace and pace and pace and pace and pace. You just think, how can that poor thing keep going? He'll go until he finally just is exhausted and drops over, and as soon as he gets his strength back, he's pacing back and forth again. It's just the nature of a coyote. He can't rest. And that's what I felt like. I felt like I had to get and just hit those walls and knock them out when I became a Christian and went to Bible college. But God said, I am going to discipline you and bring you in to where you'll begin to settle down. And after that first year, I didn't think I could ever take it in. But when I got back the second year, God began to work in my spirit to quiet me down and discipline me. It, I, have to, it, I have to find myself being disciplined when it comes to having to study. Discipline when it, has, it comes to taking time to get quiet before the Lord. Discipline to take time with God's Word. It's not, it'd be very easy to go calling and call on more people and witness to more people and, and counsel with more people. But there's times when I have to say, no, I've got to get alone with the Lord. And I have to make that time. The devil will do everything he possibly can to keep me from having that time. But it's an area that is very, very essential. You see, and when we take that discipline and put it over into this area of the Spirit... Over in this area of the soul, in the strength, and in the mind, you're going to find that in every area, discipline becomes a mandatory thing. To where we make a commitment and say, by the grace of God, this is what I will do. I set my mind toward as a flint to, uh, like a, 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 my, set my face as flint toward that thing, and I will not change. Let me tell you something. You'll, you'll really chafe when God begins to bring you into some discipline. It's no fun to be disciplined. I know right now, for example, that I would like to get my weight back down again. And whenever I look at Skip, he doesn't know this, but I look at Skip and I think, got to take discipline for him to get up and jog all the way to school from where he lives. It's got to be discipline for him to, you know, cut back and cut back and cut back all the time. And I just would to God I had that discipline. No, I don't really want to, evidently, Skip. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. I, if I really wanted to, I would. Isn't that right? And I have people say, I just don't have time to read the Word of God. Yes, you do. If you wanted to, you would. You would say, that is a priority in my life. I don't have time to pray. Yes, you do. If it's a priority in your life, you'll discipline yourself and you'll read God's Word. I don't have time to go calling on the members of my Sunday school class. Yes, you do, but it's not a priority in your life yet. And you haven't disciplined yourself and said, that's one thing I will do. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. That takes discipline. Hello? I, I don't have time to sit down with my family and talk about the things of the Lord. Yes, you do. It's a priority. How many hours a week do some people sit and watch television? Sit down and figure out sometime how many hours a week you, you watch television. Add that up by the month. Add it up by the year and it'll stagger you. Now, these are just priorities and disciplines that we... You see, it's, it's easy to take it all away. There's no... If I didn't... If I said I'm not going to drive my car anymore, if I'd sell my car, that'd be no discipline. But if I had my car sitting out there in the yard full of fuel and ready to go, and then I said I wasn't going to drive it, that'd be different, wouldn't it? If Jeffrey said he wasn't going to ride, uh, drive his uh, boat for a month or so, and it was in the middle of summer and all the kids were out there water skiing, if he sold his boat, that wouldn't be any test, would it? Any discipline? Discipline is only when it's going to cost us something and we've made a priority and said, by the grace of God, this I will or this I will not do. But if we'll do it and always say, I will do this by the grace and help of God, he's going to give me the strength. And Lord, I'm asking you to remind me every time that I've made this commitment that by your help I'm going to do it. Now, the reason I've always said that since I've learned the seriousness of vows, 
I am very careful when I make a vow to God. I'll say, by your help, Lord, I will do this. If you'll remind me and if you'll help me with this thing, I will do this thing. Now, I'll tell you, it takes discipline to lose weight in my family. Between my daughter making chocolate chip bars and me making caramels and my wife cooking like a storm and uh, being invited out to homes all the time, or when you go for counseling, Brother Webb, won't you have a piece of pie? This last week, I went to a home and I had some of the most delicious coconut cream pie. It was fantastic. And I went out of there saying, Lord, and I keep saying I want to lose weight. I do, but I don't want too bad enough not to eat that coconut cream pie. You see? Discipline. But you know, no one can do that for us. When the day comes that I say, this is it, and you've seen me do it several times, this is it. When I come off those diets, I mean, and I have lost the weight I want to lose, I think, now, boy, I've got it set. Now, this time I'm not going to start in again. You know, every time I do it, and I, and it, maybe it'll take six, eight, nine months, but here I find myself beginning to chuck a lug again. If I could stop, I'm making some confessions to you. I'm showing you there's an area that, that's difficult for me. I weigh the same right now as I did six months after I was married. But that's because I gained 20 pounds six months after I was married. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the problem that I run into. But I don't know what your hang-up is. Can you be as honest about it? Ask the Lord to help you to discipline that area of your life. If you love the Lord with all your strength. And as these young people are using their strength to, to compete in sports, they must always remember, you young people that are in sports, in the back row, that are doing other things right now. Some of you young people, remember this. That all that, that discipline that you're using in order to excel in your sport must be centered in the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. That through that discipline, Jesus Christ is going to be exalted and others will be able, you'll have opportunity to share with others the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and what he means in your life. That that body that you're building stronger and stronger every day, someday God has some place to use that for his glory. Okay? Others that God's given ability with the hands to do things. It's beautiful. Discipline it, use it, perfect it for the glory of God. All right? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. I'll very quickly go through this tonight. Praise the Lord. Concerning the mind, the thoughts, it's very quick because we have already talked about the renewing of the mind. And I would encourage some of you that have gone through ex extensive deliverance here lately to go back and listen to that series on the renewing of your mind again. Very important. Because that's where the enemy is going to try to come against you after deliverance is in the area of the thought life. First of all, the thoughts. The Word of God says whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. That is a command. That is not a, pre I mean a preference, that again is a command. And if you will see to it that you discipline, back here we come again, discipline your mind and it will be a warfare some days. You'll be driving down the road and all these thoughts will flood your mind and you'll stop and say, no, 
The Word of God says if they're not true, honest, just, pure, holy, of good report, if there's no virtue, no praise, do not think on them. I, in Jesus' name, refuse to think on those things. And you may have to begin to pray in the Spirit out loud. You may have to begin to sing a, a hymn. Or you may have to begin to quote scriptures and come into a spiritual warfare against those things. But again, when you begin to discipline your mind, because your mind, with all your mind, if it's committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you love Him supremely, and you're declaring that your mind is off limits to Satan and his hosts, then the area of thoughts is an area that must be disciplined. When it comes to studies, we could go into verse after verse, study to show yourselves approved unto God, workmen that do not need to be ashamed. May I encourage you again to realize that that is not written to preachers, just preachers. Every child of God should have a basic understanding of what the Word of God says. The best way to do that is to read the Scriptures all the way through. Read them through again. Read them through again. Read them through again. And then when you come and you hear teachings, mark it down in your Bible or write an outline or, or, or take the, the uh, tapes home and do a Bible study on that thing. Whatever it's going to take, but become acquainted with the Word of God, generally speaking. Then when truth comes to you, if you'll write it in the... the uh, edges of your Bible, as you can see most of my Bible is, every time you read that portion and you see that note again, it'll bring back to your mind the thing that you learned about that portion of Scripture. But study. God wants us to study. He wants us to sharpen our minds. He wants us to be alert concerning the Word of God. Third, the motives of our mind. It is very, very easy for Satan to deceive us. We can be busy in God's work and be out of God's will. Did you hear me? It's easy to do the right thing and be wrong. We must analyze our in our heart and our spirit why we are doing what we're doing for the Lord. There are some people who serve the Lord and they do it because they're driven to do it. They would feel guilty and unworthy if they didn't. There are others that serve the Lord because they need that attention that's given to them because they're serving the Lord. And then there are others that just... Do it because they love the Lord so much. And this, again, is the important thing. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, the motivation should be God has given me these abilities, these talents, and every place He will allow me to work, I want to serve Him with those abilities and talents. And I believe that that goes to all the ramifications of the ministry of the body. I've said it before. I will say it again to put it on record. That if God's called me to be a prophet or a teacher or an evangelist or whatever else, if the occasion comes for me to have to babysit in the nursery or to clean out the bathroom or sweep off the sidewalk outside, I am not allowed to be above that. It says count everyone else better than yourself. You humble yourself, God will exalt you. But I want to be a prophet, then be a prophet that's sweeping the sidewalk. And God someday will cause you to be a prophet that will sweep the hearts of men with the fire of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but be willing to be anything. I appreciate what I read one time where a man says, I'm willing, Lord, to go anywhere or nowhere to be anything or nothing if you just show me what you want me to do. And when we come to that position, brother, you better hang on because God's going to use us. Our motives then become right in the, in the eyes of the Lord. And then the other one is on the subject of meditation. What does the scripture say in the Psalms about meditation? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate 
Day and night doth he chew the cud day and night. That's what it means. This is the conclusion of CD number two of the messages titled Faithfulness. Please go to CD number three for a continuation.